Hello folks and welcome to the 29th edition of Weber's Whipping Post coming from my office in Bourbonnet, Illinois. I'm Weber and I'm delighted you took the time to listen to my podcast. This episode is entitled A Closer Look at Vivek Ramaswamy. Today I'm going to talk about Biden, the Ukraine, Garland's latest scam, Mick Jagger, Maui, and some other material before winding up with my latest opinion piece. But first, this episode is brought to you by Jeff and Brandon Chero at Core Street Ford, now in their 40th year of service in the Kankakee County area. Stop by their showroom at 558 William Latham Drive in Bourbon A and check out that amazing GT in the showroom. You can save up to $6,000 on a selection of Ford 150 pickups, which is what I drive, Court Street Ford is open from Monday through Saturday, offering new car and truck sales, pre-owned autos, and vehicle servicing. You can call them at 815-348-7024 or check out their website at www.courtstreetford.com. Order the Ford of your dreams today. Here, Bonehead Biden wants to keep sending humongous amounts of our taxpayer dollars to the Ukraine. Biden has told Congress he wants to send another $24 billion in aid to Ukraine, $13 billion of which will be for defense, and $11 billion for economic and humanitarian assistance. You might recall Biden just sent $48 billion last December. How damn long do politicians plan to keep sending mountains of our money to other countries while ignoring problems right here at home? They just keep funneling money to one foreign sinkhole after another. Ukraine, Afghanistan, Iraq, and on and on, with little to no oversight by anyone with a hint of fiscal responsibility. He only requested $4 billion for border and immigration issues, despite the fentanyl flowing over the border and killing our citizens, or despite the big city's effort to properly house and feed the mass of immigrants coming over and being shipped north. This defies logic and only makes one suspicious of the kickback deal the Bidens are being investigated for by Congress. It was reported that conservative lawmakers are balking at the newest request, but somehow I bet this is all swept under the carpet and we do send billions more to Ukraine. This is another reason we need Trump in office. He will slow down or stop the giant sucking sound of our money going to Ukraine. Also concerning Biden, on Friday, Attorney General Merrick Garland, still pissed about not getting that Supreme Court justice gig, must have figured he would finally get around to appointing a special counsel to look into Hunter Biden's crimes. This comes almost three damn years after his laptop exploits became known. Keep in mind, the owner of the store where the laptop was abandoned tried to turn it in five years ago, but was denied by the FBI. Garland appointed federal prosecutor David Weiss as special counsel, which is a regular practice with DOG regulations. Significant about this appointment is that it would indicate that the DOJ investigation into Hunter is not over, despite what Hunter's lawyers claim. It should also be noted that Weiss is the clown that set Hunter up with the original sweetheart deal, ultimately blocked by Delaware Judge Mary Ellen Norieka. I'm not sure if his appointment is just another attempt at another sweetheart deal, or if it will have any teeth. I have no reason to trust Weiss, nor even less to trust Garland. Have you heard about drone deliveries? 
Perhaps you've had to service something like this, but had no idea it was actually in service now. In fact, it has made over 300,000 deliveries worldwide. I caught a headline from the Fox News website mentioning an 80-year-old couple, the Sinsmeisters from Virginia, that have been using the service since 2019 and now do all their shopping by drone. Their average delivery time for packages is an incredible 12 minutes. Have had hot food, cold beverages, and even pharmaceuticals delivered. Wing, founded in 2012, is the company the couple uses, a subsidiary of Alphabet, the parent company of Google. It operates in select parts of the United States, with sites in Christianburg, Virginia, and two more in Texas. They deliver to homes within roughly six miles of one of their sites. The drones are 10 times more efficient than the most efficient electric vehicles and 50 times more than gas-powered. First flying cars, next drone deliveries. What will they think of next? Hey, I missed a milestone birthday last month. Sir Michael Philip Jagger, Mick of the Rolling Stones to most of the world, turned 80 years old on July 26. This is mind-blowing in that he's now 80 and still rocking hard, and that, incredibly, the Stones will be releasing a new album of original material this year, the first in 18 years. Keith Richards, who will be 80 himself in December, are one of the most prolific songwriters in history. Jagger has been rocking now for six decades and may be the most influential frontman in rock history. The other remaining member of the Stones, Ronnie Wood, is 76 years old, the original drummer, Charlie Watts, died two years ago at 80 years old. The retired original bass player, Bill Wyman, is now 86 years old and is reuniting with the band to play a track on a new album. There's an old saying about the only two things that will ever survive a nuclear holocaust, cockroaches and Keith Richards. Beginning to see the truth in that statement. I saw that Diane Feinstein was back in the hospital after a fall in home. The 90-year-old senator from California's term will not be up until January of 2025, and evidently she intends to hang right in there. Seems if she were to retire while still in office, California Governor Gavin Newsom will pick her replacement and is vowed to pick a black woman. Democrats in the Senate don't want that to happen, as it would give Newsom's pick a leg up in the next election, but the Dems have kind of promised the position to the shiftless Adam Schiff. So it's politics as usual, even despite the fact Feinstein's daughter has assumed power of attorney over her mother's financial affairs. So, Feinstein is no longer fit to oversee her own affairs, but she is fit to run arms. What a crock. The tragic fire results in Maui and the Big Island, Hawaii, seems to be getting worse daily. The death toll now stands at 55, but might not be done. The fire was a result of the combination of Hurricane Dora and a strong ridge of high pressure, which climate alarmists want to attribute incorrectly to global warming. The hurricane occurred 600 miles south of Hawaii. Some of the wind gusts carrying the fire had been clocked up to 70 miles an hour. The beautiful little town of Lahaina in Maui has been decimated. I've been to Lahaina and thought it was so wonderful. My wife and I actually thought of living there and not coming back to the States. We liked it that much. I bought one of my first pieces of artwork, a Ronnie Wood from the Stones print at a gallery there. I read where they interviewed the owner of that gallery. The entire gallery and all the artwork is burnt.
It was a nearby banyan tree. It was 150 years old that we sat under to decide whether we wanted to pay the money for the artwork. That banyan tree is now charred. Among other casualties is Fleetwood's on Front Street, owned by Fleetwood Mac drummer Mick Fleetwood. It's no secret that outer space can be one giant riddle to mankind. Now it seems to be mocking us. A space telescope, which seems to find something new every day, has taken a picture of an actual question mark in space. This is not a joke. You can actually look it up online. Evidently, it is a result of two actively forming stars known as Herbig Harrow 4647, which are newborn at only a few thousand years old. They consider this newborn since it can take up to a mind-boggling million years for a star to fully form. This is the kind of story that grabs my interest. 72-year-old Keith Kutska was recently granted parole after serving 27 years in prison in Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin, for murder. He was convicted of murdering a fellow worker, Tom Monfils, at their place of work, the James Mill River Paper Mill in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Kutska was one of the six convicted, allegedly the ringleader, and the last to be paroled. In 1992, Monfils called the police on Kutska for stealing an electrical cord from the mill. In what was labeled as a police screw-up, Kutska obtained a copy of the police recording and confronted Monfils at work about it. He also played it for other Union brothers, which evidently riled five more of them up. Monfils disappeared from work that morning and was found 36 hours later at the bottom of a pulp vat with a weight tied to his neck. The six men, known at the time as the Monfield Six, were all found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without parole. All were eventually pardoned. Here's the odd part. They all maintained they were innocent, and some in the town of Green Bay have come to believe him, including Monfield's own brother, who thinks Tom committed suicide. The convicted, Michael Piaskowski, had his conviction overturned after only six years, about how he and the other five were innocent. Another, Dale Baston, died without ever retracting his innocent plea. I have no idea what happened to Mr. Monfield and don't wish to speculate. I'm just amazed that six men, not just one but six, could be charged and sentenced while all claiming innocence to this day. They were all given life sentences without parole or out 27 years later. Something just doesn't add up about this situation. In an op-ed to Fox News, South Carolina Representative Jeff Duncan outlines what the House is doing about the Biden crime syndicate, and more particularly about Biden's impeachment. Interestingly, as of August the 10th, there are four different committees, Homeland Security, Ways and Means, Oversight and Accountability, and Judiciary looking into this. There have been 565 oversight hearings, 561 Biden official testimonials under oath. I didn't know they had done that much, and one wonders how much more is needed to prove what most of America already knows. Homeland Security is focusing on the border mess, which has allowed 5.5 million illegals to cross since Biden took office. Ways and Means is looking into Biden's IRS and DOJ operating a two-tier judicial system protecting friends and family. Oversight is following the money by investigating Biden's pay-for-play schemes, which were orchestrated by Hunter Biden. Judiciary is exposing the weaponization of the FBI and the DOJ. 
Daniel stated that he has voted to move forward with impeachment against Biden. What he didn't say in his 880-word op-ed is what they intended to do about Vice President Harris in the event their impeachment efforts against Biden are successful. Outside of her and her husband, there can't be any way in America that wants the giggling hyena in the Oval Office and might very well explain why there is so much foot-dragging going on in the House. If they are going to look into impeaching Biden, they have to take her down at the same time, if for no other reason than she is not qualified for the position. If that doesn't work, make something up. Speaking of Harris, interestingly, presidential candidate Nikki Haley made an odd correction when signing her Beat Biden pledge. This pledge has to be signed by all Republican nominees in order to participate party-sanctioned debates. Nominee to sign, following Vivek Ramaswamy and Ron DeSantis, which qualifies all of them for Republican presidential primary debates in Milwaukee. The second paragraph of the pledge reads in part, Additionally, I affirm that if I do not win the 2024 Republican nomination, I will honor the will of the primary voters and support the 2024 Republican presidential nominee in order to save our country and beat Joe Biden. Haley then crossed out the name Joe Biden and wrote President Harris. Does she know something they haven't told us? But as you would expect, Trump being Trump is refusing to sign the loyalty pledge and raises doubts he will be debating the other candidates. He claims there are people running that he would never vote for, more than likely talking specifically about Chris Christie. This is the kind of thing Trump does to upset people, and I wish he would quit it. Found another great country hit to pass on to you. Oliver Anthony is lighting up the internet with his song, Rich Men North of Richmond. Called the Blue Collar Political Anthem, it details the frustrations of a man fed up with the leadership in Washington. Since August the 7th, the big red and bearded guy has scored 1.2 million views on YouTube. Check it out. It's attached to this podcast. You need to start feeling bad for some of those Amazon office workers. Seems the retail giant, as of May, has insisted they go back to the office for work. Well, at least three days a week, the poor stiffs. Evidently, many did not get or read the memo and therefore have not been complying, causing Amazon now to issue them a warning. As you can imagine, reactions are mixed to those not liking it, all the way to those thinking the warning was overdue. I personally am not a proponent of working from home, and I'm anxious to see all businesses get back to the office. It's only right to the rank and file that have physical jobs at the office, such as the Amazon workers on the dock or the truck drivers, that the rest of the employees work from the office as well. Virtually no one was hired for a stay-at-home position before COVID, and COVID is no longer considered an epidemic. If someone insists that they must work from home, their salary should be lowered by a factor consistent with what it costs a worker who must report to work, in my opinion. During COVID, our company had truck drivers who had to interact with the public daily to get loaded or unloaded, to fuel up at the truck stops, and to have trucks repaired. We had technicians who had to be at work to work on the trucks that had mechanical problems and dispatchers who had to be there to direct truckers. Therefore, we made a decision that we were all in this together and all employees would be there to support those employees who were unable to work from home. 
Sadly, Robbie Robertson of the rock band, The Band, passed away this past week at 80 years old. He was the primary songwriter for the band, having written classics, The Wait, Up on Cripple Creek, Rag Mama Rag, and Time to Kill. While many might not have heard those songs, everyone has heard of his biggest songwriting hit when he penned The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down for Joan Baez. My personal favorite was Showdown at Big Sky. Rest in peace, Robbie. Hey, this episode came to you from the George Ryan Jr. Insurance Company. You can depend on George Ryan's insurance company for nearly all your insurance needs and in many different states. Call the folks at Ryan's Insurance at 815-936-0075 for a quote today. That's 815-936-0075. Or you can look them up on their website at www. GRinsure.com. My latest commentary, A Closer Look at Vivek Ramaswamy. Much to my horror, a good friend might have fallen off the Trump train. He's always been for Trump passionately, but inexplicably is leaning toward Vivek Ramaswamy. While I'm on record stating Mr. Ramaswamy would be an excellent choice for president, I just don't think he can win the presidency in 2024, and it might be a vote taken from Trump. Our friendship was forged over many a round of bad golf and good wine, so I looked deeper into Ramaswamy. I'll be listing some facts about him, along with my observation about those facts. But before I go any further, I assert that if for some reason a Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis is not the Republican nominee, Vivek Ramaswamy would be my third choice of the 11 declared candidates. I like what I've seen about him and hold no bias toward any perceived differences. I would prefer to see him as a vice presidential candidate with either Trump or DeSantis, although he said he doesn't want the position. Ironically, the day I started research into Ramaswamy, August the 9th, was his 38th birthday. His age is a great place to start my observations. I have a hard time believing America will elect anyone that young to be president. By the time of the election, he'll be just 40 years old, nearly a full four years younger than the youngest president ever elected. As a side note, who was the youngest president ever elected? The answer will follow this commentary. It's not who you think. Ramaswamy was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, of immigrant parents from India. He's been back to India often and speaks two different Indian languages, making his heritage and familiarity with the country potential assets. Given mounting tensions with China and Russia, we need a strong and populous country in Asia in which to have common interest. India is the most populous country in the world, about three million more than China. On the other hand, Ramaswamy is of the Hindu faith. I see this as a big hurdle to overcome. America is a Christian country, and I wonder if she would vote for a non-Christian. I personally don't have a care in the world about his faith, but will the Christian right vote for a Hindu when they close the curtain on their voting booth? Well, the issue John Kennedy had with just being Catholic. Vivek addressed this issue skillfully, saying, I'm not running to be somebody's pastor. I'm running to be president. But I'm running to be a president who recognizes that we are one nation under God, recognizing the Judeo-Christian values on which this country was founded. Trouble is, how many people will hear that statement? His name could work against him as well. 
is definitely not what most would consider a regular name, is difficult to say and spell. Will some voters just skip over him because of his name? Perhaps he should have changed his monitor to say something like John Jacob Jingleheimer Smith before announcing his candidacy. Vivek is a highly awarded graduate from both Harvard and the Yale Law School. He's an astute businessman, having amassed a wealth between $630 million and $1 billion. Impressive in one so young. Even more impressive to me, he made his first $15 million before he graduated from law school. His earnings have come primarily in the pharmaceutical and venture capital businesses. He fully understands business within American capitalism, something sorely needed after the run of politicians with no business sense due to always being on the public goal. Vivek's married, she's a physician, and they have two sons. He's outspoken, almost brash, but eloquent, with a Midwestern American accent. He's published three books, Woke Incorporated, Nation of Victim Identity Politics, and Capitalist Punishment, How Wall Street is Using Your Money to Create a Country You Didn't Vote For. He states to have embraced standard conservative principles, including belief in God, two genders, fossil fuels reliance, closed borders, the nuclear family, capitalism, strict constitutionalism, elimination of racism to include reverse racism, and parental control of a child's education. Another principle, probably not as popular, but one I have written about, is to amend the Constitution to increase the voting age to 25, unless one has been in service. Vivek Ramaswamy is a very strong and viable candidate, folks. His candidacy, in my opinion, seems a bit too soon. He needs more time for the American people to come to know and accept him, perhaps by latching on to a 2024 candidate and putting a few more years on him. I like him, or Glenn Youngkin, in 2028. That's all I got for you, folks. If you like this podcast, please tell others about it or write me at aweber1957 at gmail.com. And by the way, Teddy Roosevelt was our youngest president ever elected. Bye, folks.